You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbigin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 2 of season 1 of Chaos to the Fly. I'm your host, Greg Newbegin. Thank you to everyone that listened to the preview episode and episode 1 last week after the launch and gave me some feedback, uh, lots of positive stuff uh, and some helpful feedback as well, so really, really appreciate that. If you did miss out on last episode, I covered Pazuzu. There was a haunted house ghost story, and I gave a review of Netflix's South Korean series, Kingdom. Uh, that one's a bit of a zombie TV series, and they reviewed seasons one and two. A pretty good show. Anyway, uh, in regards to the feedback that I got, all of it was very much appreciated. All of it was very helpful for me, uh, but some of it was more helpful than others. And uh, I got some really good tips about how I could perhaps improve certain sections of the podcast, buff them up, make them a little bit more interesting and a little bit longer. So I will be implementing some of that for the future, but it was a little too late for this episode. Uh, this episode, as you'll notice, has some shorter sections, which means that I've actually got three ghost stories in this one. Two of them are really quite short uh, and one longer one. But if you want to get your ghost story onto the show, hit me up at stories at chaostothefly.com. Send me an email, go to the website chaostothefly.com. However you'd like to share your story, go for it. Uh, make it as detailed as you can. Change names if you like. Do whatever you need to do, but make sure you tell me exactly uh, what you would like to be referred to on the show as well. That's pretty important. Anyway, let's crack right on in to episode two. And uh, I'll see you on the other side where I will discuss some of that feedback. Uh, so we'll talk about it afterwards. Kuchisake-onna, a story from Japanese folklore. The name Kuchisake-onna, for those that can speak Japanese, gives away the very thing that makes this character from Japanese folklore so damned scary. Interestingly, this particular demon lady is quite a modern character, somewhat of an urban legend, similar to that of Bloody Mary, for those that know of that story, which is probably everyone. That said, it's understood that variations of this story potentially date back as far as the Edo period of Japan which took place during the 17th to 19th centuries. Kuchisake-onna, therefore, is often considered a yokai, a supernatural spirit or demon specifically of Japanese origin. Sightings were apparently especially numerous in the late 1970s, with some suggesting that this was, in fact, the origin of the folklore, with tales of samurai and Edo being added afterwards making it seem as if the tale had a longer lifespan. However, the truth is somewhat unclear at this stage. The story goes that there was once a beautiful woman, some of whom suggest was originally married to a samurai. 
it's said that she was at one time adulterous, and on discovering her secret, the samurai mutilated her, cutting her mouth from ear to ear, destroying her beauty. Other versions of this story suggest this was performed by another woman, who was jealous of her beauty. Regardless of the root cause, the result is the same. A horrific, jagged smile from ear to ear. And this is what I was referring to earlier. The very name Kuchisake Onna translates from Japanese to Slit-mouthed woman, which is a pretty creepy name in and of itself. Anyway, whether or not Kuchisake Onna died as a result of these wounds is unknown. Part of the law, however, is that after she did die, she returned as a vengeful spirit, an entity referred to as an Onryo in Japanese. Now, she walks the earth with her face covered. Some stories suggest it's by a hand fan or a handkerchief, but others suggest it's a surgical mask. Of course, even if it is a surgical mask, this wouldn't be so abnormal in Japan, a country where people are often seen walking the streets in surgical masks, especially now, during the coronavirus pandemic. In these cases, the individual is likely unwell, and doesn't want to spread their sickness with those they pass in the streets or on the trains, or alternatively they don't want to catch sickness from the air. Here though, Kuchisake Ona seeks to cover her monstrous visage. Strangely, she's also said to be seen carrying some kind of weapon, a knife, a pair of scissors, or a scythe, as she walks through dimly lit streets at night. She would then approach a would-be victim, posing them a question. Do you think I'm beautiful? The person is then left with a difficult choice. Answering in the negative would result in a quick slash of her weapon, ending their life there on the spot. Saying yes, though, sees Kuchisake Ona removing her mask and showing her disfigured face before asking, How about now? A negative or frightened response again results in their prompt and bloody death, while, conversely, a yes results in the spirit enacting her punishment upon them, cutting their mouth from ear to ear. I guess no matter what you respond, you just can't win. There are those that say you can respond with a non-committal answer, perhaps, yeah, you look fairly average, or something similar, which may save your life. Or you can offer her her favourite sweet, hard candies, and she may let you go. Personally though, if I see a woman in a face mask, dragging a scythe behind her in a dark alley, I'd just give her a wide berth and be on my way. This is a ghost story, a story of spiritual healing, from LN in the Cephalon Square Discord. Names have been changed to protect their identities. This all happened back in 2013. My partner of the time and I had just moved into the house that I'm living in to this day. My now ex-partner Kara's Nana had passed away. They were never really that close. But after she passed, we began to notice things going bump in the night. Ornaments on the fireplace mantle would move and make noises at night, and in the morning, things would be in different places. At the time, this was both cool and most peculiar. We'd also started to notice a strong smell of smoke at night, always at night when we'd slip into bed. 
Sometimes we would wake in the middle of the night to see a tall shadow standing in the doorway of our bedroom, watching us. This shadow had an ominous feel and carried a weight of negativity to it. Then there were the not-so-negative days. Sometimes we would detect the hint of flowers on the air, which was strange, as we didn't have a flower garden, and neither of us had what you would call a green thumb between us. Eventually, we were able to get in touch with a local woman who was known to perform house cleansings, and this meeting would be the start of my journey into the spiritual realm. We certainly felt that a house cleaning was in order, and we knew who to call. Ghostbusters. Not quite, we called Jane. The day she arrived, Jane did some sort of mystical sweep of the house, with what I now understand was a quartz pendulum. She informed us that we had multiple presences in the house. There was a father and daughter who'd previously owned the house in the past, as well as some deceased family members that were following Kara. After Jane cleansed the house, things went back to normal. Well, in the house at least. Kara started visiting Jane to receive spiritual healings every few weeks, and she was also delving heavily into spirituality. She had a couple of decks of angel and flower divining cards, and was collecting all the healing crystals that she could find. One day, Kara convinced me that I should also go and have a spiritual cleansing. She was ecstatic at the idea. I was less so, but being open to trying things, I decided to go along with it. I was told to expect the unexpected, but funnily enough, this was not referring to ghosts or demons, it was referring to the cleansing process itself. Apparently, you can experience volatile evacuations as part of the process, although it is pretty rare. Jane had me lay on my back on what we would call a masseuse bed. She placed her hands above my head. Not on it, but just above it, so I could feel the warmth from her hands. She must have been there an hour or two. I wonder how she did it. My arms would have gotten tired. I wish I could remember the questions she asked me, but she was probing into the deepest, darkest corners of my mind, places where I had apparently been storing a repository of all things repressible. She proceeded to realign and restart my chakras, which were either spinning very slowly or at a stop. She specifically mentioned that my head chakra was full of things I could not let go, that my throat chakra was at a dead stop, which probably explains why I wasn't very talkative at the time, and that my heart was also at a stop. For the longest time, I really did feel like a robot, and looking back at this, I can laugh and cry now, but at the time, I wasn't sure what to feel. When Jane got to my stomach chakra, she found a dark, seething mass of, honestly, I don't know what, but it was dark and evil, and through its hold on me, I was an angry, antisocial, and potentially dangerous monster. She did what she could to remove it from me, and afterward we both hoped it would be gone for good. This session had removed it, but only temporarily. It came back another two times. Through some discussion with Jane, we were able to work out that as a child, I'd played with tarot cards that were of the dangerous variety. An old tarot set with swords, pentacles, wands and cups that's still around even today. I was advised to either burn them or never go near them again. I've not had the opportunity to burn them, but I've not seen them again either. This led to one more cleansing, in which Jane plucked out all of the negativity and darkness, leaving me a clean slate to remake myself the way I wanted to be, and a chance to be the best version of myself. After the cleanse and once we'd returned home, I sat down for the longest time. My head was light and empty, 
a whole new kind of calm. It's a surreal experience that I liken to when you spin around on the spot in a circle. Once you stop, the world keeps on moving. Only this time, it was without the nausea. Then, tragedy hit the family, and my own grandmother passed. I was unable to attend the funeral due to some bad juju at the time, which I won't go into. Later, I was able to visit her grave. I sat there for a while and cried like a baby for the first time in years. Later that week, we received a call from Jane asking if anyone close in the family had died. Apparently Granny was back and was not ready to move on, so it was back to the masseuse table for me. The air was thick with tension when we arrived. Granny wasn't happy when Jane started using me as a conduit, I guess. The temperature in the room dropped although it's probably more specific to say that the air around me dropped. My body was shaking severely from a cold in the room that no one else was feeling. Sadly, I can't remember much after that, but I do remember that Jane had to make Granny head towards a light, so to speak. And that's my ghost story, and these are the experiences that made me believe that ghosts and demons are real. Ghost story number two. This one comes to me from Sharon on Facebook. Every Sunday I teach psychic development classes. For the time being, I've been running them at my parents' house. Three weeks ago I was teaching mediumship and how to profile spirits. One student sensed and described my mother's auntie. She even brought through her name. She described her and I confirmed that it was her as I know this auntie. When class finished, I found a broken picture frame on the kitchen bench. In this frame was a picture of the auntie that we were discussing. Two of my students freaked out. Later that day, I phoned my mother and asked her what happened to the picture. She said that she came across the picture and began to talk to her auntie, as she sometimes does. Within a minute though, the frame fell out of her hands and broke the glass. This happened roughly the same time as my student connected to her. How's that for a sign from the other side? My mother had no idea what was happening in my class as the door was closed. Ghost story number three. This one comes to me from Kaz on Facebook, and it's a bit of a sweet story. I'd like to share my supernatural story with you. It was about the day that my daughter was born three years ago. The day before she was born, my wife went into labour in the evening, so we went to the clinic by taxi. However, the doctor said the labour pain was still weak, and it was going to take a long time. So I went back home alone, and my wife stayed at the clinic. I tend to have trouble sleeping, so I often take sleeping pills. On this occasion though, I decided not to take my sleeping pills at night, so that I could go to the clinic if they called me. It was pretty hard for me to sleep, but I fell asleep eventually. Around 3am, I heard a baby crying. I might have been dreaming, but I'm pretty sure I heard a baby crying. It woke me up, but I thought I was dreaming. However, a few minutes later I got a phone call from the clinic. I called a taxi, and I went to the clinic ASAP. When I arrived there, my wife was already in the delivery room. The doctor said my daughter was coming really soon. 30 minutes later, my daughter was born. I was so happy, but I wondered who was crying at the time at home. Personally, I think it was my daughter. I believe my daughter made me wake up.
This is a review of Castlevania, a Netflix series, and it's a review of seasons 1 through 3. Castlevania, for those in the know, started out as a video game, which was originally released by Konami in 1986 on the Nintendo Entertainment System. There have so far been 30 titles in the series since then, and although the game is simply a side-scrolling beat-em-up with platforming and puzzle-solving elements, fans of the series know there is a lot more in regards to the backstory when it comes to Dracula and the Belmont family. Which brings us to today's review, the Netflix Castlevania series. Written by Warren Ellis, a British writer probably best known for his work on the comic book series Transmetropolitan and Planetary. To date, there have been three seasons, the first lasting only four episodes, the second eight, and the third season consisting of ten episodes. To be honest, going into things, I wasn't sure what to expect. I had played the games before, well, a few of them, but not all of them. However, I'd never really paid attention to the story. I knew there were several Belmont guys who were the protagonists of the series, I knew of Dracula and Alucard, but I didn't much care for how it all tied together. I just wanted to kill monsters with my whip. However, I'm glad I gave this a shot. The first season is kind of short-lived. The four episodes that it plays out over feel somewhat rushed, and possibly rightfully so. This was perhaps their first shot at telling a story in this universe, and they were only given four episodes in which to do so. The characters initially seem somewhat flat and played out. The drunk Trevor Belmont, last of his family, struggling to live up to the family name. The evil Dracula, driven by despair towards a desire to destroy mankind. And lastly, the quirky Cypher a young magic wielder who is more powerful than she seems at first glance. And if I'm honest, it probably doesn't help the first season. It's not a bad season. In fact, for what it is, it's actually quite brilliant. It's a very competent first season, or perhaps more aptly, it's an extremely competent teaser for an adaptation of a video game franchise. Season 2 is where it's at, though. The characters are developed much further and viewers should come to love them. Quirks, tropes, warts and all. In fact, the second series is really quite great horror television. It includes magic, vampires, betrayal, death, blood, guts, all the good things. And it all culminates in a massive battle with some damned impressive choreography that would almost be fitting for a John Wick movie. And all of this happens in the second last episode for some reason with the final episode acting as a kind of epilogue and lead-in to the third season. It's kind of weird. The third season takes a very different track. It's hard to explain without giving too much away, but needless to say there are several story threads, some of which are interrelated, some of which are not, and of course all of which play out over the course of the season, but not all of which conclude by the end, suggesting, of course, that a fourth season is inevitable. Even given all of these storylines, the season feels like it plays out slower than the second. So much so that it can be a little bit of a slog to push through the middle of the third season. But I urge you to do so. 
It's actually really clever writing, setting things up for a series of final episodes that include some mind-blowing scenes. And more than that, each of the storylines play out to a really satisfying ending. Perhaps not pleasing, but satisfying in an entertainment sense. And the flat characters? By the end of Season 3, you should be cheering for all of them, even some of the bad guys. For a TV show that's based on a video game, especially one that's animated, this is some really compelling television. It's not for everyone. There's plenty of sex and gore, and although the writing is clever over the course of the three season, each episode can feel somewhat lowbrow in tone. But if this even sounds slightly like something you might like, then I suggest you pop it in your watch list ASAP because it's worth every minute and I can't wait for season four. All right, so that was episode two. And it, like I said at the start, it is a little bit different to episode one for various reasons. Uh, episode one, I talked about a demon, Pazuzu. This time I talked about some folklore from Japan uh, in Kuchisake Onna. Uh, episode one had a really, really long haunted house story, which I thought, I thought was pretty good. And that's why I wanted to go with that in the first episode. This one had much shorter stories uh, and not all of them were super scary. Uh, and of course, lastly, there was a review of Castlevania, which is animation, uh, still a series on Netflix, uh, but a little bit different in itself. And I guess that's what I want to, to do with the show. I want to make each show, each episode, a little bit different. You know, it's got its own feel. It's got its own... I don't want each episode to feel like each other, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I chose Kuchisake Ona because I think that's a cool story from Japan. I've got a bunch of other stories from Japan. I'm looking for some really off-the-wall folklore stories from anywhere around the world. So if you are from somewhere in the world and you do have some common folklore that's fairly well known in your country, let me know. I'd love to cover it on the show. Uh, Kuchisake Ona is not an unknown story in Japan, which is why I chose it. I don't want it to be too obscure. Although obscure sometimes can be pretty good, but I want it to be something that a lot of people talk about and believe in, just like the whole Sandman, Candyman thing of modern society, modern Western society. Now, why did I choose three ghost stories? Basically because the first one was too short. Uh, I knew it needed to be longer. Now, because I'm telling real people's stories, there's not much I can do about that because real people's stories are all going to be of different lengths. They're all going to have different amounts of information in them. Uh, and I'm trying to be as honest to the original story as possible. I don't want to uh, expand on it and make stuff up, basically. So those stories are going to be as long as they need to. And if they are too short, I will add some smaller ones on. I do have a bunch of small ones as well um, that I can use to append to those. So that's why I told three stories today. Plus, the third story I thought was just a cute little one. It's not uh, scary in any way, but it's just a different aspect of the whole supernatural that I thought was pretty cool. In fact, that's what I'm going to share with you today. So I do share a little story about myself every week. And one of the stories, well, the story that I'm going to share this week is very similar to that third ghost story. 
uh, and it was about the, the birth of my daughter. Now, I'm not actually going to say her name on here to keep her privacy secure, but what happened? My wife and I were, were trying. She was our first child, so we've been trying to, for some while, for some time to, uh, to get pregnant. And it was after about a year and a half of trying unsuccessfully, and we were about to go see a fertility specialist. Now, I can't remember if it was very soon before we saw the fertility specialist or if it was a week before or whatever it was, but it wasn't long before we saw the uh, fertility specialist. So before we went in, I went to sleep as I often do every night and I had a dream. And during this dream, I dreamed, dreamt, dreamed that we had a daughter and I dreamed a name. Let's say Mary. <laughs> so I dreamed a name Mary and I woke up and I told my wife and I said, wow, I just had a dream that we had a baby girl and we named her Mary. And my wife laughed and we went to see the fertility specialist not long after that. And he said, oh, I promise you within a week you'll, you'll be pregnant, which he was just joking about, I think. But within a week we found out we were pregnant. Now, I don't know whether or not he could see something in my wife's eyes, a special glint or something like that, that notified him that she was actually already pregnant at the time because she would have been. But that still makes me chuckle to this day. Anyway, we did have a baby girl and we did end up naming her Mary. Well, not Mary, but we named her the same name that I had in that dream. So that's my little story. I dreamt that we had a baby girl and then we found out we were pregnant and then we had a baby girl. A uh, little bit spooky. Maybe not, maybe just a coincidence, but who knows. Anyway, where was I going? I guess the last thing I haven't talked about is why I chose Castlevania. I am a video game nerd at heart. I love video games. I always have since I was a kid. Uh, so when I saw that Castlevania was on Netflix, I wanted to check it out just to see. I expected it to be a train wreck, if I'm honest, because most video game adaptations are absolutely terrible. So uh, I thought, okay, let's see how bad this can be. Season one. I've got to admit, uh, like I said in the, sh in the, the review, it is a bit dull. And it took me a little bit to push through it, but season two and three are really, really good. I, and like I said in the review, I urge you to, to watch it. But that was episode two. Let's talk about something else that I like this week. And I've chosen to talk about horror books or novels. So as a teen, so I've always loved reading. I've always loved fiction, science fiction and fantasy. Uh, so I, I read a lot of Lord of the Rings and things like that when I was younger, but I also read a lot of Dean Koontz. So Dean Koontz is a fairly prolific writer of thrillers and uh, horror stories, uh, and I read a shitload of his books as I was growing up. As I got a little older and I started to get my own, or my, my tastes started to mature or they started to branch out, I moved on to a writer called Brian Loomley, who wrote the Wampiri series or the Necroscope series. Not super, super well known and a little bit awkward, at least at first, at the start of the Necroscope series because it changes so significantly. But once it changes and it starts to focus on the other aspect, which is, it's not really a spoiler, it's been out for 20 years or so, vampires, once it starts to focus on that, it becomes a much, much better book in my opinion. And the second series, the Wampiri series, I really, really loved and I still love those books. Gotta find them. Then I started to read Clive Barker, and now Clive Barker is probably one of, if not my favourite, writers, because he's just so 
batshit insane in his stories. Neil Gaiman is similar, but I do prefer things that are a bit more horrific, so that's why I like Clive Barker a bit more. I love his Imagica stories and Weave World. They're so... They're, they're leaning towards fantasy a bit more, but they're just beautiful stories. Um, and that's why I love Hellraiser. I talked about that last week. I never really got into Stephen King until recently because I found his prose a little bit too wordy. But as I'm studying writing, I'm understanding why that's the case. And I understand why he is such a prolific and amazing writer. And I'm starting to, to understand that what he's done in most of his books is outstanding. Not necessarily the pace at which I like to read. Stephen King books tend to be a little bit slower, but uh, absolutely just uh, mind-blowingly good writer. So I'm starting to read some of his books now. Uh, so we'll see how I go with that. I am looking for more suggestions for what to read. I do love reading and because I want to be a horror slash sci-fi fantasy kind of writer, that's what I'm looking for. I need to use that as part of my research. So I'm looking for cosmic horror, uh, as well as more clever horror stories, such as uh, that which Stephen King writes. But I'm also looking for more gory stuff as well, along the lines of Clive Barker and Brian Loomley. So yeah, if you've got some tips for me, info at Chaos to the Fly is where to send that to, even if you just want to say hi. Of course, I, did, I have mentioned a few times that I am writing a book. If you'd like to check it out, because I've put it online for free, head on over to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Greg Newbegin, G-R-E-G-N-E-W-B-E-G-I-N, and you will see my book. So you don't have to pay. I know Patreon is a pay site for supporting your uh, favorite content creators, but I've made my book free, and if you want to support, then you can. So read through my book, give me some feedback. It is only the first draft, so it's far from perfect. <laughs> Trust me, I know that. I also know that things that happen early in the book sort of conflict with things that happen later in the book, but that's the nature of first drafts. So my plan for that Patreon was really to explain or tell the story of a person learning to write. So uh, the people that do pay a uh, monthly subscription to the Patreon, get updates throughout the month just to say, hey, this is what I ran into, this is what I'm learning, this is what I'm experiencing. Uh, and the premium patrons get a video generally once a month of me sort of going into a bit more detail around that. So I probably won't mention my book too much on this show because, you know, they're a little bit separate. But if you do want to check it out, please do. Now, we are a brand new podcast but I'd really love to be in the new, new and noteworthy section of iTunes. It's really hard to get in there. It takes a lot of support. So if you are enjoying this show, I urge you, please jump onto iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Leave a review, say what you think of the show, and please do share it with other people that you think might also be interested. Uh, I, I need to bump up the listenership numbers and bump up the ratings in order to get in that new and noteworthy section. And it would absolutely make my day to get there. If we don't, we don't. We're not going to stop making the show. But uh, yeah, let's see how we go. I really appreciate it. All right, I will leave it there for another week. And I'll see you next week for episode three of Chaos to the Fly. 
already smashing on out there. I don't know what stories we're going to tell just yet because I haven't sat down and thought about what uh, what I want that show to be just yet. But please keep the feedback coming and, uh, yeah, leave those reviews. Bye. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources. So I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco underscore box on Twitter. And last but not least, thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from Zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies. <laughs>